Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? How did they end? Let's find out on this final episode of the 640s BC on Fan of History. Yeah, this is the wrap-up episode. It we'll is. cover everything we couldn't fit into the other ones. Exactly. This is our longest decade so far in the show. I think so, right? How many? Wow. Got a lot of episodes out of the 640s. Yes. So let's start with the sports. Yes, the Olympics, 640 BC Olympics. We have two champions. We have, oh my God, you got to do that. Spiris the Laconian. Yes, Spiris the Laconian. He was victor of the stadium. Yeah, being a Laconian is probably being a Spartan. Yes. And then Kylon or Cylon was victor of the Dialos. I don't know and where that's he's from. The 400 meter race. Yes. That's all we have. Sparta still doing well in the Olympics. Yeah. I'm interested. It's interesting that we sort of lost the detailed reports from the Olympics. I know. But maybe they'll come back. It's like we don't even have a lot going on in mainland Greece at this time. No, they're just uh, making their colonies work and doing good things. Yeah. Easy, you know, they're, they're writing stuff. And they're, we don't even have a, col- a new colony. No, that's just everything is great in Greece. Yeah, yeah. I guess the Messinians are getting assimilated into their slavehood, so they're not yeah, fighting there. Yeah, is too far away to be a problem. Yeah, yeah, he's not a problem. And then the Ionians are dealing with the Cimmerians, so exactly. Now we reach a point of contention here. Yes, I wanted to avoid Rome <laughs> totally until we have actual historic facts. But here I see. Legendary stuff sneaking into the podcast. I know how much a lot of it's legendary, and the name I can't resist. And plus, we had him before, Tullus Hostilius. 
and because he, he's the warlike king, of course his name is Tullius Astilius, like Nautius Maximus. That's because he's a legend. Because I understand, I understand, and so I know. Well, there's a couple of myths what happened to him. They one it says that his house was struck with lightning because he made a mistake in performing a sacred rite to Jupiter. So everyone in the house was killed and the house was burnt to the ground. Maybe it was Ashurbanipal's magic that misfired. Yeah, it could be. It's interesting that this period, how God is very arbitrary. You know, the people's gods are. Because, you know, you have in the Bible in this period too where, you know, if you do something wrong, God, like you can't touch the Ark of the Covenant, it'll kill you. It's just a powerful thing. It's not, I don't know, very arbitrary. It'll just, you know, you do the wrong ritual and it'll strike you with lightning. I think it is because religion is very ritualistic. It's a lot about what you do. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have some motivation to actually do the rituals correctly. So those, the gods are really angry if you do the rituals wrong. Right. Basically, the religious people were, was the religious trade was run by people with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. They had to do oh, this yes. ritual perfectly or God will kill you. Oh, Tullus Astilius. His death is in 642. That's why he's here. Yes. That is why he's here. They say he died in 642. So no that's all we more have to things talk about. Him, but, I'm sorry? Uh, no, let's, I want to say more things about him, but he's a legend, so let's avoid him. Let's just avoid him. This guy is not... Well, this guy's a legend, but he's a true legend. He's a legend in the sense like you're a legend, Dan. Like we oh, always thank say... You. Who's the, who's the guy you do the podcast with? Oh, Dan, he's a legend. You really are, though. Um, he's a legend, just like Archilochus. Yes, Archilochus, is I believe how, because Ryan had helped me pronounce him. Good. Archilochus. We talked about him in this decade, because remember, he had the uh, eclipse. Oh, yes. Yeah. It seems like a long time ago we did that. So he's a Greek poet, and we talked about him in the 680s. So another one of my friends from the 680s, we talked about um, him... We covered him in a little bit because he's the guy that coined the term tyrant when referring to Gyges. Archilochus, the inventor of tyrants. Yes, he right. He is the earliest known Greek author to compose almost entirely on the theme of his own emotions and experiences. So he didn't just talk about the gods and oh ancient things. He was talked, you know, it was his own emotions. And his poems are really like kind of dirty. They're a little bit body. Um, he talks, you know, explicit sexual things. But we could do poems like that. Well, I'll Are get we some. really stuff. a family show with all the flaying and mass murder? Yeah, we might as well have some of the sexy stuff, too. That'll be for the Patreons. We'll have a special episode where you and I read Archilochus's dirty poems. <laughs> that will kill our Patreon. <laughs> if you send an email, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> okay. Oh, goodness. Yeah, he was revered as the, by the ancient Greeks as one of their brilliant authors, though, and always almost on par with Homer and Hesiod. But maybe we'll start doing Archilochus quotes at every decade. Oh, why not? Especially if they are dirty. I'm a definitely look for some. Now, you're te you will definitely challenge me. Yes. He, he's also quite a good arguer. This is I love this because I, I have a so I could say bad words. Then I I have this. This is my theory. I say you can't convince someone they're an asshole. Like, you know how you always try to talk to somebody, to, you know, you, I'm going to tell this person off, and they're not going to believe you. You know, you could tell them how nasty or stupid they are, but apparently Archilochus can convince someone that they're an asshole. Because there's a story that his insults drove his former fiancée and her father to suicide. 
And the story is that he was supposed to marry a girl um, named Niobule. Niobule. But the father reneged on the agreement. So Archilochus, he retaliated with such eloquent, eloquent abuse and insults that they both killed themselves. <laughs> so this is the guy that two men should have hired to insult Ashur. Oh my <laughs> God, you're so right. Instead of using his lame Elamite insults. I'm seriously. He definitely. <laughs> you're the best. That is hysterical. Oh God. Yeah, I would like to know how he did it too, because I got you know, you know, I have a couple past people in my life that like to give me a hard time, and I never can seem to convince them that they're wrong. So, don't kill people with, with insults. No, I just don't. My grandmother always says, "Kill them with kindness." Kindness, and that's been my motto in life. So anyway, yeah, he died around 640 in a battle against Naxians by a man named Calandus. His nickname was the Crow. It's according to legend, Apollo was furious and excommunicated the Crow then from all temples. That's that's so very Greek to for a poet to die in war. Oh, for sure. Everyone is a citizen hoplite. I don't know about this battle. I couldn't find anything about this. You know, it must have just been a maybe a little, you know, just a little battle. There, there, where they lived, they were close to each other. Um, you know, these two places, and there was a battle, and that was it. He didn't live long, from around 680 to 640, so he was about 40. There's a shrine on Peros where he's from, though, and there's still a hero cult. There was a hero cult dedicated to him that lasted for over 800 years. Wow. Right? I wonder what the trappings of that cult was. That Were you reading, like, his uh, naughty poems to each other, or...? Yeah, they would read different ones of his poems and talk about that. And because he, he did write about battle, and he did like the sexy poems and about battle. Because he was kind of like, um, if I recall, he was kind of like your your soldier who talks about being in a hell hole. And you know, he wasn't all about the glory of it. He was more about the soldiering of it. You know, that the hard times and the and, you know fighting with your brothers and that kind of thing. More gritty. Now I do want to hear some of his quotes. Yeah, we're going to look up. We're going to definitely look up some more of his poetry. A lot of it is lost, unfortunately, and some of it comes from other, you know, they refer, they reference him. But, yeah, we're going to find out. We're going to do his quotes. Hang in for the 630s. We're going to have some Achillicus quotes. And it seems that the Phrygians were still around somehow in the 640s. Mm-hmm. Because there are tombs found at Gordium, their, their capital, that I thought was destroyed by the Sumerians. But uh, Midas' successors were buried there, and we have found their tomb. We found 7th century tumuli in Gordium and Ankara. And they are quite easy to date because they have Greek imports, stuff from Greece uh-huh. that we can date. Uh, there are timber graves in mounds. And, of course, Phrygia is eclipsed by Lydia uh, next door. So it, not even these these kings' names do not count down to us. But Phrygia is still around in some sort of shape. Yeah. But uh, they are, of course, hard-pressed by the Sumerians, but still surviving. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. It just seems like that era can never... Uh... Put it. It's like the Levant, you know. It's they have to kind of always end up being part of another empire, but they're 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 very wealthy, you know. There's a lot of money and just good stuff going on there, but they always end up being part of another empire. But right now they're 
they're still hanging in there. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And now we are going to talk about the real winner of the 640s. Who's it? It's Semedicus. Yes. Of the 26th dynasty of Egypt. Because the Assyrians are way too busy to care about Egypt. So he's just uh, saying friendly words to Syria. He's ruling in relative peace. And Semedicus will be around until the 610s. Amazing. And it seems to be very, very peaceful in Egypt. Uh, Necco and uh, Semedicus were puppet princes. They owe their power to Ashurbanipal, but they're like too far away. Yeah. <laughs> and the Assyrian influence on Egypt is, isn't that big. No. I wonder, we don't know how much tribute they sent, but they seem to be doing very well. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, yeah, you know, unifying the country, they probably have enough money, you know, tribute to send that it's not crushing them. As long as they pay that, it's cheaper than fighting them and get, getting themselves their house back in order. Yeah, and they also have they have a lot of uh, cultural contact with the, the Carians mainly. Yeah. But this semi-Greek people of southern Anatolia, and they also have some Greek influence coming yes. into Egypt. Yes, they definitely do. This is when Necrotus, that's I think we already said that it was already founded, but then it, you know the Greeks are they they're they're trading island there 
they start to really ramp it up. So I think there's a lot of good money being made there. It's easy to just pay off the Assyrians. Yeah, definitely. They they do have an enemy though in Egypt. Who is it? And it's an old enemy. It's Nubia. Oh. And there has been fighting between Egypt and Nubia in the 650s. But uh, the Nubians are out of Egypt. They try to come back, but Semeticus is keeping them away. Hmm. Uh, there is a king, uh, a Kushite ruler in uh, Nubia called Atlanersa or nice. Atlanarsa. He's the successor of Tantamani, who claimed to be the last ruler of the 25th dynasty of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, Atlanarsa could be a son of Taharka, ah. who we covered quite a bit. I love Taharka. Uh, and of course, stuff is happening at Jebel Barkal, Barkai. Uh, so there are foundation tablets with Atlanarsa's name showing that he started a temple dedicated to a god called Osiris Deadven, huh. which is sort of a Nubian Osiris version. Aha. Uh-huh. That's, you remember, Taharka's buried at Jebel Barco. Yes, uh, they, they all are, I think. Yeah. Remember, he built the, the gold shining thing where it shines over his pyramid and everything. Yes. Yeah. And this uh, this uh, temple was located near a small New Kingdom chapel there because new, the New Kingdom reached as far as Jebel Barcao. Yeah. Uh, Atlanersa seems to have died in 643. But his successor, Senkaminisken, started rule in 640. So the Nubian source is not very good. Right. This Senkaminisken could be the son of Atlanersa, but also his brother. Remember, they had this weird yeah. succession, Nubians, that you were succeeded by your brother, but then he was succeeded by your son, and it was complicated. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Senkaminisken will rule from 640 to 620 at Napata, the capital. And he still claims to be a, a pharaoh of Egypt, but ah. uh, he doesn't have much influence on Egypt. There is an inscription in Egypt, in Memphis, mentioning Senkaminisken. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's all we know from Nubia. I wonder if the pharaohs had to take off the two cobras. Remember how they had the two cobras, meaning that they were the pharaoh of Egypt and Nubia? I think they were. They represented they were the king of Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt. Oh, Nubia true, is like yeah. the third place. Oh, you're right. Because Nubia isn't really Egypt, right. except that the new kingdom made it part of Egypt. Right. So, and then they left the Nubians there thinking they were Egypt. Right. Yeah, uh, you're right. I want to check in with some of the places we mentioned earlier, even though we don't find uh, a lot of information about them. The next place I want to go to is Carthage. Carthage. Because Carthage will be doing great things soon. So we, we established Carthage way back in the show. And they are doing great because they have all the good things of Phoenicia. Mm-hmm. Minus Assyrian influence. The right. Assyrians, still afraid of the Mediterranean. They think Carthage is way far away. They don't even know about Greece, really. Right. So Carthage is, of course, a lot longer further away. Carthage also received a lot of uh, population fleeing from Phoenicia. 
And the site is super great. The central shore of the Gulf of Tunis, access to the Mediterranean Sea, protection from all of the storms of the Mediterranean, and the city is growing. I mean, that that makes sense. They're not in a they're war zone over there. And there, there's no one nearby that will attack the will attack Corsica, but it's still built to be easily defended. There's a citadel, uh, and uh, you are sort of in the middle of all the trade routes. Yeah, it's there definitely are a good spot. going on in the Mediterranean. The Etruscans are trading, the Greeks are trading, the Phoenicians are trading, and this location is uh, pretty much perfect. So Carthage is growing larger, growing quickly, and its population is estimated to be above 30,000 people, which is a huge city of this age. Right. And there's no Tullus Hostilius for real to bother them in Rome, so that helps. Well, there is surely there is some Latin chief thing there, but the, that's not a concern. Not for at all. Carthage is way ahead of Rome at this time. Yeah, I mean, we don't even know how far they might have got into your area of the world right now. I mean, we did that whole episode with um, with Doctor Mailhammer. Yes, and I think it's a very privileged position. They, they are so far away from everything bad, and they're enjoying everything good. Mm-hmm. They are also starting sort of gain their own character. All the Phoenician colonists that are now left without their mother cities, because their mother cities are part of the Assyrian world. Mm-hmm. So they are becoming what we could call Punic, right? Okay. As yeah. opposed to Phoenician, they, they are becoming a distinct culture. And in 650, Carthage starts its own colony. Oh, I missed that one. We're right nearby, right? I'm not sure where this actually yeah. is. So, but they, they are becoming a power player in the Western Mediterranean. And they're very independent, of course. They, there is no influence from Phoenicia anymore. They are exacting influence uh, on the world next to them. They, there, is a, there is a tradition of sending annual tribute to the Temple of Melkart in Tyre in Phoenicia. Okay. But that sort of becomes more and more rare. And people from Tyre, they know about Carthage. They will go there if they think the, the Arab invasion of the Levant yeah. is, is too much of a bother. But uh, these tributes to the Temple of Melkart, they are coming more and more irregularly because Carthage doesn't need Tyre. But Tyre needs its daughter city, Carthage. I mean, so we're talking, when was Carthage founded? Like 800, right? Around 800? Yes, yes. So we're what? We're yeah, like, a bit earlier. So we're... They've been having 200 years of relative peace and quiet. Yeah, it's almost like the United States and England. Yes, but in 50 years, another important power will appear in the western Mediterranean and Carthage will uh, find themselves facing an enemy. It's not Rome, right? No, it's not Rome. Way, Rome is way too early for Rome. But they will end up uh, fighting the Greeks because the Greeks are colonizing everywhere. They are like locusts. Yes. Carthage has to do something about it. And, of course, it will concern the huge island north of Carthage that everybody wants. Sicily. Yes, Sicily. Right? Yeah. They're always fighting over Sicily. Yes. 
that will go wrong. Uh, that will happen and uh, go on for a long time. Yeah, eventually we'll just get ready because in a few, and about, a, like you say, 50 years, we'll probably be talking about Sicily about every episode. And we have already founded Syracuse, right? Yeah, we founded Syracuse. The Syracuse is around. That will, of course, be a finger in the eye yeah. <laughs> for Carthage. It would be. I don't think I did founding Syracuse. You probably did. I know I, we founded um, Gala when I started the podcast. Gala was in, the, in Sicily. Uh, next time, next thing I want to check in with is uh, Urartu. We did mention Urartu a bit, but it's ruled now by Rusa II. He he will stay around for, maybe that's why we don't hear a lot about them, because they are under a stable ruler who rules Urartu between 680 and 639. Uh-huh. And he constructs a massive fortress, fortress complex called the Karmir Blur. And I think a massive fortress complex is a great way to keep the Cimmerians away. Yeah. Because when they come riding there, they'll say, oh, it's a massive fortress complex. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. Let's go to Lydia. Exactly. Exactly. As I calls Rusa II Jaya. <laughs> he called guy, guy just Google. Yeah. Uh, I, I have no idea why, but... Mm. A cuneiform inscription has been found commemorating Rusa II building a canal to channel water to the city of Quarlini from the Ildaruni, which is the Harastan River today. So this inscription reads, it mentions Sadurid III, which... Yeah, I mean, uh, Urartu was... Uh, I think Urartu was also kind of a loose confederation of people, right? And the king is... I remember they constructed their civilization as a carbon copy of Assyria. So I think it is tightly ruled by the king. Okay. And okay. I think that is what's keeping it uh, alive okay, yeah. under the pressure of the Sumerians. And all these fortresses, they built to keep the Assyrians away. They, they didn't work very well against the Assyrians, but they sure are working well against the Sumerians. Yeah. And they had, the, they had that, the way that they could light the fires, right? Where like where they were all within view of each other. So say Cimmerians or it was Assyrians would come, you would light the one torch and then they would see it and they would light the torch until, if, you know, it, would, it wouldn't take long before the king realized that there was, you know, bad guys on the border. And I think this works to repel the Cimmerians so they go to Lydia instead. Yeah. I, I, it's just a little tangent, but I was thinking about like walled cities, right? And you, so you think like today, like our cities aren't walled. We don't need them. It sounds silly. Uh, even like I would think a lot of wa- cities were walled, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, not necessarily just to protect you from, you know, other major armies, but just raiders, just someone like 50 guys on horses could come and make a lot of trouble if you don't have a wall. So, it's, you know, they build these fortresses and they, a whole bunch of Cimmerians come and see that and they're like, we don't have catapults. Yes, I know Rorta has this long history of building fortresses. Yeah. So. And it's a mountainous region with a lot of resources, so I think they're doing quite well. They, it looked for a while during the age of Sargon that uh, Urartu would fall. Yeah. But they are not falling. They will actually survive the Assyrian Empire. Okay, let's go to a place we haven't been to for a long time. What? Let's go to America. Oh, yay, coming to America. You coming to visit me? I have nothing on America, but I just like to remind you what we know about this period, because it hasn't changed a lot. Okay. The Olmecs are still around in Mexico, 
still probably thinking they are the only civilization in the world. Hmm. Following the decline of San Lorenzo, La Venta became the most prominent Olmec center. We talked about that. It started in 900 BC and it will wow. be abandoned in 400 BC. Wow. And we don't know a lot. They're building those huge heads. Yeah. They might have a written language. We can't read it. It's all very sad. But yeah. they are there in La Venta, which is, of course, a religious sort of city and not a city you live in. Oh, it's kind of like Adobe Tepe. But right next door, they have someone who claims to also be a civilization. So if the Olmecs think they are the only civilization in the world, these guys will tell the Olmecs, hey, what about us? <laughs> and it's the Maya. Ah. The Maya are still in their pre-classic period, but they do develop cities around 750, so they should have something resembling a city in the 640s. Hmm. It's just because we can't find them because they, lived, they were in forests, right? Yes, it's a terrible environment, and they also very much, their later achievements sort of are, are much bigger than what yeah. they do at this time. Yeah. So, But they uh, they hang around, they have complex societies, according to uh, archaeologists, and they mainly eat maize, beans, squashes, and chili peppers. Oh, it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> and we get to my favorite culture of the Americas. Ooh. And I'm so sad we don't have more information about this. I talked about it in the 930s. The Chavin. I don't know anything about them. The hippies of the northern Andean highlands of Peru. This culture that had no weaponry, no violence. There are no traces of violence at all. All they do is worship jaguars, construct amazing things, to make water sound like jaguars, and they do huge amounts of drugs. So the rest of the stuff they construct are just drug paraphernalia. Oh my, my jaw, my jaw is dropping. I have to find out more about these. And this guy, listen to the 930s episode, because we talk about them there. Um, the Shavin influence their neighbors, and this culture is spreading. And it's spreading because everyone else is afraid of missing out they're like wow those guys are so cool they seem to have so much fun let's become like them <sighs> i wish they, they would come here around. they will be around even longer what kind of drugs are they doing probably cacti and stuff but oh. i'm not sure wow but i can also see them in front of me like chavin number one to chavin number two but hey i can turn into jaguar the other guy goes like, what? Well, have this. <laughs> and they do drugs and then like, now I'm a jaguar. <laughs> oh man, you're really a jaguar. <laughs> and that's, that's what they do. It's like oh so entirely different from everything else we speak about. Like Ashurbanipal would wipe them out in a second. You know, they do say like the very old civilization societies were much more peaceful and maternal. Or, or, you know, their women were in charge, like they say about the Indus Valley civilization. Maybe they were, and even like the Catahoyuk. Catahoyuk had no walls. Oh, you know, and they had like that was seventy five hundred BC, and they had what like three thousand people living in together. 
Amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's a completely different society than we have, you know, later once the violence starts. I mean, there must have been violence, but, you know, it's we don't know. But they think that maybe people weren't quite as violent with each other. I, I imagine, I imagine, I'm just musing now, but I imagine nature was 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 tougher than other people. Like, you kind of had to stick together to, to just to keep nature away. And then once you kind of got nature at bay, then you start killing each other. Yes, you know, I guess. I expect some uh, some Peruvian archaeologists also to show up and tell me I'm wrong about Chavin, but I would love to, and I'm sure I am, but I would love to learn more about this culture. Well, since we can't put them in the dates, like you know, decades, we'll try to let's try to do a special episode. It's it's just super unique. Well, we okay, let's go back to the violent people. Yeah, <laughs> back to the violent people. Who do we got? Of course, uh, the Mayans and the uh, Olmecs are not that violent. Right, not yet. But these guys are. We are talking about the Medes. They will soon get their moment in the in the limelight. But in the 640s, they seem to have lost control of the Persians. Uh, Esarhaddon, Ashurbanipal, and uh, another guy that I will not mention yet, imposed vassal treaties upon the Median rulers, but they also provided protection for the Medes against Cimmerians. Okay. So the Medes seems to be in a bad shape. They have been badly beaten by the Syrians. All those campaigns we talked about before against the Medes, they're finally having an effect. So the Medes are vassals to Assyria, mm -hmm. but they are not happy about it. Mm. And should Assyrian power dwindle? maybe the Medes will take advantage. Yeah. This is when the Medes start to, their five tribes, I think, too, right? They start to more unite. That seems to be going on and off at times. Yeah. But I'm sure they, they are learning something from what is going on. They, they are not too far away from Mesopotamia today, and they've been there for quite some time. Right. So they, they are learning. We don't know who actually ruled the Medes if they had a king. But it could possibly be a guy called Fraortes. Mm -hmm. All information about him is from the father of lies. The father <laughs> of history, depending on how you view it. Herodotus. Yeah. And Herodotus says that Fraortes was the son of Diocles and united all Median tribes into a single state. Whoa! Oh, yeah. So now they're a single state. Fraortes also subjugated the Persians and Parthians. The Parthians, they're like, we haven't heard about them before. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, they're right. They're, but they are, you're right. They are They are a tribe, and then they become yes. powerful later. Yeah, they will cause Rome a lot of problems. Of course. But Fraortes was a vassal of Esarhaddon and then Ashurbanipal uh, while he does all of this. So maybe he had control of the Persians. Maybe mm -hmm. that was also an on and off thing. Uh, he began to conquer other nations of ancient Iran, but what nations? I, I don't know. Yeah. But he ruled for 22 years, uh, maybe between 675 and 653, and then he he died in battle against the Syrians. Yeah, remember they went in there, they, they knocked out a bunch of cities in the 50s. Yes. And I think he's the guy that was, he might have been a hostage in, in Nineveh. When he was young. It's so uncertain that mm -hmm. other scholars, men of learning, good historians, 
think that Frotus actually lived another 28 years and died in 625. Ah, yeah. The Assyrians mention a guy called Kashtariti, and Frotus could possibly be Kashtariti or mm-hmm. not. But maybe some scholars say he is, some scholars say he isn't. But he is succeeded either then in 653 or 625 by his son, Xiarxares. He becomes somebody. He's important, right, in the future? I think so. We will start to learn more about the Medes very soon. Yeah. The Medes will be involved in important events. I think these mountainous places in these ancient times, where they were, they're, they had a king and all, but they're still very... You know, loosely controlled. We have to realize, you know, we live it today where we just get in a car and drive somewhere. You know, these villages were almost so isolated, some of them, you know, to keep people together. You had little warlords all over. The king was just sort of a big warlord. Not in Assyria, of course, because Assyria was, you know, an empire that was more tightly controlled. But anyway. And we talked about the Persians. So the Persians are either controlled by the Medes or independent, mm-hmm. but they do capture an Elamite city. At some point, uh-huh. they capture Anshan. Ah, that's important. And there is a guy called Tyspes, who is supposed to have ruled Anshan between 675 and 640. But we know that Anshan wasn't captured, or maybe he captured it earlier than the Elamite troubles. Yeah, Anshan's not ever really mentioned in the list of all the places he captures. I'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure it isn't. Anshan wasn't as wasn't as important of a. It was used to be one of the capitals of Elam, but. You, you know, they, it was he didn't you, you did not hear Ashurbanipal put anybody on the throne of Anshan. No, but uh, he was a vassal of the Neo Assyrian Empire, so he was doing all of this while at least paying some tribute and saying that he he didn't want Ashurbanipal to show up on his doorstep. Right. He was succeeded by his second son, whose name is Cyrus the First. Right. So let's leave the Persians there. Yeah. We talked about the Cimmerians. We mentioned that the Scythians are causing troubles on the steppes and yeah. putting pressure on the Cimmerians. Do you remember the Manians? I do remember. That sounds like a movie. Remember the Manians. Yes, remember them. <laughs> we have this huge lake in northeastern Assyria called Lake Ermia in northeastern Assyria. And this lake is now almost totally gone. It's a total environmental disaster. Wow. But in the 640s and before, this lake was traditionally the border between Urartu Assyria and the Manians. Okay. So territory around the lake was contested by these three states. And they are still around. The Manians had a king called Asheri, who ruled until the 650s BC. And he was actually expanding the territory of the Manians. And that makes you wonder, at the expense of who? Who did he take this territory from? Yeah. Probably not the Medes, because they were doing great as well. But while he was doing this, he was a vassal of Assyria. But then he decided to not be a vassal of Assyria and was defeated by the Assyrians in the 660s. We might have mentioned that. Yeah. And then the Manians took to infighting and they were fighting among themselves. Mm-hmm. And they spent a lot of time doing that. It's always what happens. So that's where we're leaving him. 
It's amazing, though. That area is amazing, though. Religion from that area, and we just lost so much. We don't have the writing of it. There's, like when we said back when they found those weird groves and they those, the gods that no one saw and the uh, Minians, they probably had some of the Zoroastrianism and just such a different territory, different language, right? I mean... I, I think we, we still cannot read the Elamite writings. Yeah, I don't think we can. I think we can't read their old stuff, and maybe the newer stuff we we could read, but their old stuff we can't. Their newer stuff, they, we don't have much of it. But yeah, oh, these, maybe they just uh, changed to cuneiform. Yeah, yeah, when they have cuneiform, we can. Their old stuff we can't read, their real old stuff. That's I saw that with history from Sai, with Sai. But yeah, they have this... And they're Indo-European, their language, right? Where the Assyrians, their Semitic language, I believe that I'm correct on this. So they're like a different type of people coming from the, the mountains, and they're, they're going to play a bigger role in history in the next 100 years for sure. I wanted to do a short recap of the situation. Well, I know we do this at the end of every century. Uh, we have done that before. But I, I wanted to remind you of everything else that's going on. Because at the end of 640s, we are reaching, this is almost like the last great time of this world that rose from the Bronze Age collapse. Yeah. And uh, now things will change. Yeah, you're right. Gradually. This is the turning. The 640s really is, things really do start to change here. Because this is still the world that the Assyrians wanted to create when they started the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And the Neo-Assyrian Empire is still a great thing after 270 years. But what would the world be like without it? You know, Karen Radner mentioned on one of her things how we think, and it is a big empire, especially for the time, but size-wise, it's about as big as Spain. Yes. I mean, it does stretch out to Egypt and all, which is not, you know, Spain is more in, in one shape or whatever, but, it, and she compares it to like the small territories of England or Europe, where they're, you know, they're, principalities fighting to get to become nations and i think that's a serious sort of merged all these different groups into nations and some of these are coming from outside though now these these Minians and scythians and they're all indo-europeans they're really different yeah i think you have to uh, like look at what the world has seen before so this the neo-syrian empire is something that the world hasn't seen before not not in the west at least oh absolutely i don't think anywhere you're right you really so we had the Akkadian Empire way back, but the, the size of the Neo-Syrian Empire and the achievements of the Neo-Syrian Empire, remember how many things the Assyrians have invented, like aqueducts, regular militaries, boots. Remember the achievements of Tiglath Pelleser III. This is very much the blueprint that all coming empires will be using. Absolutely. The Persians, the Romans... They are sort of the natural development of this empire. Yeah. But the one thing the Assyrians got wrong is so clear in Ashurbanipal that their treatment of people, yeah. like they, they have been doing this for so long. They extract their heavy tributes. They flay people. They keep people's heads yeah. as decorations at the dinner table. This <laughs> will not fly. No. And the great invention of the Persian Empire can easily be summarized by how about being nice to people right. <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna create an even bigger empire right sort of like 
make people want to be part of your empire right instead of killing them until they agree to be your vassal right absolutely I, i will talk so much more about that when the persians achieve their world domination yeah they get so much bad press from the greeks but what the persians especially cyrus accomplishes it's fantastic absolutely definitely the the he's a, the messiah to the jews it's pretty much just doing the assyrian empire thing again but being nice yeah do unto the others as you would have done unto you oh well he does he does a lot of mass murder as well but he does it he, he like the appearance his pr his marketing right it's all about like well i'm here to help become a part of the empire don't be a barbarian now i'm getting ahead of myself yeah we're well but that's all right that's fine i'm glad like when you talk history so we'll now move into much much more unknown territory the 630s yeah so the next is the 630s and i i have stuff on but our our kavan and everyone uh caitlin they put some stuff together i haven't really got a chance to look through it much yet but it is there is i expect it to not be this long it is there's not much so one episode of the 630s like we don't know anything (laughs) there's other things it's just not assyria isn't assyria doesn't have as much Ashurbanipal is getting old. We'll see how old he is, you know, the next time. See if he makes it through the next um, episode. But um, yeah, he's starting to get older, so probably just hanging and out in his in his apartment there. Remember the basic Assyrian. Of course, that's not true anymore because there's so much Assyrian writing. But when the Assyrian sources go silent, things are really bad for the Assyrians. Yeah, they can't brag about anything. Right. Good for everyone else. <laughs> Is it? We shall see. We shall see. Well, this was great. Six um, forties. We have lots of we have lots of episodes. Anybody wants to contact me, you could get me on the Fan of History Facebook page and message. I check that. Or Dan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am Dan Horning with an umlaut over the O. So that's there's nobody else in the world with that name, so I'm You're very right. easy to find. You are, as long as you put the umlaut. And if you want to hear me speak Swinglish in another podcast, there's also Fan Astronomy, where I talk astronomy with another American who can actually speak English, Angelo. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah, we sort of started it up again, but it doesn't have uh, the great reach of this podcast yet. And then I do, of course, 12 other podcasts in Swedish, but to understand them, you have to understand Swedish. Someday. Someday I'll learn a couple words. I have to, could, could, we, could we listen to those, though? We, we could listen to the Swedish ones? Yes, you could. I'm doing, right now I'm doing a 12-part special about 40, 50, 60 minutes every episode about Ted Bundy and all wow. his murders. Oof. Well, thank you, Bernie, for all your great work, and thank to you to our interns as well. Yes, thank you to them. Thank you to the listeners for my new mic, and uh, we'll be back with the six thirties for sure. Maybe some other special episodes as well. Yes, I'd love those. Yeah, me too. Well, bye everyone. We'll see you in the six thirties. See you in the six thirties. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out.
Thanks, and see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.